good day, everybody. Benny Mathers here, the producer for Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Paul is back on the line yet again for another round of springtime in Palm Springs, I should say. And Paul, as well as extending our stay at home per our orders for our governor here in Washington State. How are you doing down there? Well, we're doing well. We uh, entered now week 14. Um, we give a weather report, and uh, this week it's going to be 108 degrees. Woo-wee, triple digits. 108, yes. Uh, Man. Pretty amazing. That's even hot for here at this time of year. So <laughs> it doesn't feel like spring. It feels like dead summer here. Time to come home, uh, which we will in a couple of weeks. So um, hopefully everything is getting better as we go along. Mm-hmm. For example, in Palm Springs, however, there was an uptick in cases this week, so it's a little concerning, but no one's, you know, jumping off bridges or anything, but that's the way it is right now. I've observed a few things about the corona. I'd just like to share for a few moments and uh, some of the things that I'm looking at in terms of trying to get back to some normalcy, but I find it very interesting that the airlines, uh, how they're operating, and I was really stunned last week, and I think I mentioned this before, that I saw a flight that originated in Miami and came into LaGuardia in New York. Half the people were wearing masks. I just assumed that everybody boarding a flight for the last month at least had to wear a mask, but I'm really surprised. So why I bring that up is because some of this is so unevenly enforced that, uh, you know, I'm just wondering if we can ever really, they say, flatten the curve and do that. But I think, you know, that's been troubling to me. I'll just leave it at that. And uh, let's say the tale of masks, too. Um, I was talking to someone in Washington last week. I assume, like down here, which it has been for the last six weeks, that you can't go into a store at all and not wear a mask. I mean, there's someone standing at the entrance mm-hmm. checking the mm-hmm. mass. And I found out that up in Washington, I just assumed it was the same up there, that there isn't this mandatory mask requirement that you walk into a store. A lot of people do it, mm-hmm. but it's not mandatory. And I just found that very curious. Again, the unevenness of yeah. the enforcement here. It is a little frustrating to hear. I mean, obviously, I, I'm like you. It doesn't hurt just to throw one on real fast. It's kind of like the new norm. And In just news this week, Costco, they're going to release. They will start recommending for everyone in the store to wear one. Yeah, but isn't that amazing? We're in May now, and that's coming up at this stage. I mean, we've known about this raging virus since February. It's February, March, April, now May. Well, you know, we think uh, we're going to have some people required to wear masks. I'm going... Yeah. How were you on this earlier? Um, the message doesn't, uh, not to interrupt, I think the message also isn't reached to everyone as quickly until you go to said designated area for items. I wonder if that might help. Right. I don't know. I don't I'm just know saying sometimes <laughs> it's called, I think I call it scratch my head moment every right. week. I have sure. about two or three of those, but yeah. I know we all do. And, and, and we're getting in this thing and we're in it all together. But that's just a couple observations that I, had here not even thinking that you wouldn't be going into stores or any place of establishments without masks. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to belabor the point, but um, anyhow, we'll just uh, hopefully keep flattening that curve and get to some, uh, as I said, back to normal sooner than later. Today, uh, I had an interview this week with Sam Reed, and he is the former Secretary of State. He served in that capacity from 2001 to 13, three terms. 
And uh, he really, what I call now, had a triple header in terms of incredible things that occurred during his time. Uh, three very important historical conflicts that would be enough for any one of them, for any secretary of state for their career. But he had three major historical conflicts. One was the uh, Dino Rossi versus the Christine Gregoire campaign of 2004. This was the closest gubernatorial oh, yes. election in the history of the United States, not just the state of Washington. 2.8 million voters. And in one of the recounts, the separation of the votes between Dino Rossi and Christine Gregoire mm -hmm. was 42 votes. Yeah. That's like a tie. There was a lot of backdrop that went on to there. Yeah. And I talked to him about that, but I'm not going to air that today. That's going to be for another time. The second one was what's called the top two primary, which we vote now. And um, across the country, there's a lot of friction between the parties controlling who is nominated for their particular party and then the will of the people who they want to choose. Washington state is smack in the middle of that. And actually what happened during his tenure, there were two visits to the United States Supreme Court that what we were doing in Washington was illegal, so they struck it down, but then came back with what we call, again, the two top primary contenders. And basically what we do now is vote in the primary and the top two vote getters move on to the general election regardless of party. So it could be, and it is, two Democrats could be running against each other a much more populist way of doing it and one of the few states that do it does it that way. So that was another uh, situation that he dealt with. And I'm not gonna talk about that today either. That's gonna be for another show. What I wanna talk about today is vote by mail because Washington state is the leader in that. There are four states that, other states that have it, Washington, Oregon, Colorado, Utah, and Hawaii. Those five states, including us, have vote by mail. And Sam was a leader in bringing that to our state in 2005. So that right now is a hot button issue across the country with the virus. Why don't we just vote by mail and not require people to go to the polling booths? Well, again, there is people going each way and our leader, well, not my leader, says there's fraud. Well, I wanted to talk involved in vote by mail. So I wanted to talk to Sam about that. Is there a fraud? The evidence, we've been doing it for 15 years. Have you seen that? So we get into some of those issues as well. And uh, so that's kind of what we're uh, going to talk about today. And then I want to move into the self-employment realm again. I've been talking about that with you, Benny, for the last several weeks. Because as our situation has emerged, I think we will be coming out in as, as a different society, maybe some. I don't know what that really means, but I don't think we're going to be exactly the same people we were prior to this. And one of the things that you hear more and more people working out of their home, doing it by Zoom or whatever, well, maybe at some point during this process, some of the people are thinking, well, maybe I should start my own business now. That's an alternative to look at. So with that, I've been discussing that a little bit more, ramping that up. I'm talking about, I did write a book about self-employment a couple of years ago. It's called, Is Self-Employment for You? And in that book, I really tried to point out to people, I'm not talking them into going into business for themselves or out of it. My goal is at the end of the book, you will say, I can do this 
Or you maybe say, I can't do this now. It could just be a matter of timing. The timing may not be good for you. It's not your intelligence or anything along those lines. A lot of it are other factors involved. And that's what I try to highlight in the book. And today, I'm going to talk about the financial aspects to running your business. So um, with that, why don't we pick up, first of all, I'd like to start with my interview with Sam Reed. And we began talking about vote by mail. If I'm correct, uh, Washington, Oregon, Utah, Colorado, and Hawaii have vote by mail now. Five states. I just saw that Ohio, they had a vote by mail this week in their primary. And uh, is there any preliminary returns as to how it worked out there? And are they happy with it? I know it's a kind of an absentee sort of uh, way of doing it. And it's because of the virus and things like that. So it was driven from a different uh, why this is occurring. But anyhow, what can you read from that? And uh, how are you feeling just basically about vote by mail and people who are making concerns known that uh, there's a opportunity for fraud? In Ohio, by the way, it's working out well. It's a little more clumsy because as you say, it really isn't vote by mail per se. It is people using the absentee ballot system, which of course, it's comparable, but vote by mail is much a much slicker, organized uh, system where they they really are set up to process these ballots. So I'm sure in Ohio it's going to take them quite a while to actually certify the election. But I read yesterday quite an article in the New York Times about Governor DeWine and everything, and basically saying that it it went well. Uh, Paul, in addition to the states you mentioned, there are a number of other states in the Western United States that are partially vote by mail, or at least have such a wide open absentee system that it ends up that many of the counties are, in those states are, are vote by mail. We actually started here uh, in 1983. I was in my first term as Jefferson County Auditor, and we county auditors went to the legislature with the support of Secretary of State Ralph Monroe, advocating that uh, we be given the authority to use vote by mail for nonpartisan uh, special elections. In other words, uh, it could be bonds and levies and, and such, uh, but not for partisan elections. It was quite a battle. It was viewed as, uh, Need to say, particularly by some of the old timers in both parties, as as being kind of a radical notion. Uh, we, in fact, when we ended up passing in the Senate, we did it on on getting a reconsideration vote because we lost the first time through. But we got it through. We used it. It was quite successful. So then we went back and got it expanded. Got it expanded. Finally, and. Uh, got it so that uh, counties, could, counties could choose to vote by mail. And, uh, and then finally, uh, I think it was 2005, we got it passed for the entire state to be vote by mail. And it has been very successful in the state of Washington. Uh, the voters love it. And, uh, and so I'm very proud of this system. Well, you should be, you know, being a leader on this for so long and then reading this history, what you just said, it takes a long time for these things to occur. It doesn't happen overnight. And as I was reading uh, some of the history on this put out by the Secretary of State's office, it does come up 
to uh, top of mind that 1983 that we had started this. Again, I wouldn't have guessed that in terms of just reflecting without reading this. Um, so what do you think about the chances for fraud and some of the charges being made? Are the other states, are they really happy with it too? Uh, the other states are very happy with it. Oregon uh, basically followed the same timeline as we did, other than they went statewide earlier, and it was because the county clerks were, well, the county auditors of our state, uh, got an initiative on the ballot and people voted for it. So they, they went earlier than we did to go statewide. Uh, my experience, we actually had more problems with fraud at the polling sites, which not much. We haven't really had you know, extensive history in the state of Washington fraud. Uh, but what was interesting, we talked earlier about the gubernatorial uh, recount that we ended up doing. And needless to say, everybody went back, you know, newspapers, uh, the parties, the, some interest groups, as well as Secretary of State's office, the counties, and basically looked at every ballot, and every count. And what we found out was that at the polling site, there were some people who didn't sign in properly, who, who must have voted. There were people who, who uh, signed in and then didn't vote for some reason or the ballots didn't appear. Uh, there were people who weren't supposed to vote directly because they weren't in the poll book. There were people who weren't supposed to vote there. They were supposed to cast uh, a ballot, hand it back to the election board worker to put in a secure place for it to be considered by the canvassing board so that this person then had the opportunity to, to say they were legit and they should be voting there. Or uh, more often what happens was people show up at the wrong poll site and uh, uh, they vote, and then what happens is the county then, you know, if it's within the county, moves it over to the appropriate you know, precinct to be counted. If it's out of county, they send it to the other county. Well, what happened during that election, we found, was people went ahead and just dropped it right into the poll box. So what we had is people voting on races that they were not entitled to vote on, like for legislative candidates or county candidates. Uh, whatever. Uh, Fascinating. Now, in terms of vote by mail, uh, we have a chance to look very carefully at every ballot and make sure it's being counted in the correct jurisdiction because we have the time to do it. And uh, there's a very thorough review of, of each ballot. We also require a signature on every ballot. And then what some people I think are skeptical about, but uh, what is true is every ballot is looked at and, and compared to their original signature. Every ballot, not samples, not skimming or whatever, but they carefully have somebody, you know, who's election workers of the county who look at this and compare it. They are trained by the Washington State Patrol on how to recognize fraudulent signatures. Uh, so it, there's a lot of uh, security in that respect, but also uh, when they're in the courthouse, uh, like they are, the vote by mail, they are put in a locked facility. So there's a lot of security. When they're out at the polling sites, they're out at, at, in schools and community centers and all that. And you just don't have that kind of security that you have 
with vote by mail. Now, some people worry, well, what about the post office? Well, the post office obviously has a real interest in making sure this is right. So they also have very, very tight security standards for how they handle ballots. I can't believe that we're still debating in other states about when you vote digitally or by computer and things, there's not a paper backup. Now, if you want to really sense the deal and have faith in the elections, you would just think that would be mandatory, a paper ballot that would be a backup to any voting. Well, we certainly have moved in that direction. Uh, after the Florida experience in 2000, uh, with all the problems they had, the uh, United States Congress passed an act that sent funds out to the states to improve on their election systems and to get better equipment. Uh, unfortunately, Congress said that, you know, they particularly want people to look at direct electronic. Well, which means the touch screens, which do not have a paper trail or anything like that. Well, my state, given the experience that I had had, uh, as I said, with recounts and all that, uh, I said, no way are we going to do that. But we did end up, because counties could choose to do it, we ended up with, I think, Snohomish and maybe one or two other counties doing it. But even they, they did it, and then they realized it was a mistake, and they very quickly changed back to another system. But other states kind of were stuck with it because they'd spent a huge amount of money. But we moved very quickly, and it was quite a discussion. The National Association of Secretaries of State uh, throughout that time period after this that um, we really needed a paper trail. And there were organizations also who were making it a cause to be advocates for that. What do you miss about being Secretary of State? I really loved that job, and I was I, I feel I was a lucky man to do it. Uh, all of us, you know, aspire in our lives to do something, a job that we love, where we feel, uh, gosh, you know, I'm getting paid for this because this is actually fun, and, and that's the way I felt both about Secretary of State, but also about being Thurston County Auditor. I, I really care about elections and, and always have and deeply believe in its importance, obviously, for an oper operating uh, democracy. Also, I'm in the history and, uh, and both, again, as Secretary of State and County Auditor, are dealing with uh, all kinds of historical documents and records and such. And uh, so I love that as well as just the people you work with. And, uh, uh, and one thing that people sometimes are surprised and they get a little skeptical when I say it is, when I would go out in the communities all around the state, I just really enjoyed, people were so glad to see it. You know, the stereotype is because I was a politician, people, all oh, those darn politicians. Well, that really wasn't the response. They were pleased to have a statewide elected official in their community and glad to have the opportunity to talk and for me to listen to them. So I miss all that too, that was great fun. My thanks to Sam Reed for sharing his wisdom and experience with us today on voting. As I said, I'm going to be back with uh, more things that he was involved with, which are pretty incredible in the future. Sam is living currently in Olympia with his wife, Margie. And again, we'll be talking about the closest gubernatorial election in history and the top two primary system. 
You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word. And welcome back, everyone, to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. I'm the producer, Benny Mathers, and we're going to check back in with Paul down in Palm Springs. And that was an amazing interview you had with uh, Sam Reed. And uh, how's he doing these days overall with what's going on as well? Well, he's doing great. He's on a number of boards. He's very much involved in the uh, public service. Mm -hmm. And that's what he's been. He was involved in public service through his entire life. And that's why... He's really a model for what I think of public servant should mm-hmm. be. So he's doing great. Still sharp. I love I love listening to him. Yes. He's quite a smart man. By the way, I did my first job out of college. I worked for Sam Reed. Oh, did you? That's kind of cool. Yeah. So I learned a lot from him. But then I took another choice, Benny. I went into business for myself. You after, did? Gosh, working for Sam. I kid him. And I say, you know, after working for you, I had to go run my own business. But um, then I worked for the county and I worked for Metro and I worked for a nonprofit. Then I went into business for myself. And um, I want to talk today about the financial part of going into business. And it's not so much about getting the loan at the bank Mm -hmm. because you're not going to get a loan from the bank. The adage is if you need money from the bank, you're not going to get it. If you have enough money, they're all over you to lend you money. I'm not trying to beat up on the banks necessarily because I read statistics that 80% of businesses fail. So they have to be really cautious about lending a lot of money. So I get that. Correct. But I'm just submitting that you don't build your business in trying to think you're going to get money from the bank. That's all. Sure. Um, And one of the things I've talked about is I want you to take a look at a business that does not require a lot of startup costs or big loans. And uh, what I talk about is a boutique business. With that, keeping your overhead low. One of the ways you can do that is work out of your house. Now we see a lot of people doing that and they're working for companies. You may get used to that now, whereas you didn't think you could do that before. It is isolating and it can have its challenges. But overall, I think uh, it's something that you have to make a choice on. Keeping your overhead low is absolutely critical to success. Here's an example. If I like, say you want to have an office as going forward, and let's say the average cost is 5000 a month. That's $60,000 a year. Times that by 10 years, if you're in business that long, that's $600,000 you're paying to someone else. That's real money. You can be putting that into marketing and doing a lot of different things with the resources that you're putting into an office. So I'm just submitting really keep your overhead as low as you possibly can. Now, on the flip side of that, don't be cheap. Pay better than the average wage. Hire free agents. You don't need to have employees necessarily in the beginning, but I'm teeing you up to try to get you to three to five years. And If you want to go off and get a lot bigger, become the next, next Jeff Bezos, that's great. I can't coach you on there because I never did that. But I want to get you to that three to five year mark where then you can start making those choices. One of the things is, is that 
your business attire, how you look and present yourself is very important. So don't be cheap on clothes and appearance and things like that. That's where you put your money into rather than paying overhead. While publishing, I sat between two people. One was like me. We didn't have a lot of money. So we had to really focus and work very hard selling advertising. The other person was married to a very wealthy person. He would come in late in the morning, sleep early in the afternoon, never saw him on weekends. So basically he didn't sell any advertising. He didn't have that fear that he had to get out there and work really hard to make things happen. So I think that's extremely important. So those are a couple of things on finances. I will pick up on more of that as we go forward. Again, the book is called The Self-Employment for You. If you want to get it, I know it's a shameless plug, but it is on Amazon. And it's only like $7. So um, take a look at it and give me feedback too. I'd like to hear from that. So we're out of time today, Benny, and uh, look forward to getting back to the state in a couple of weeks.